I have 10 plus years of trauma therapy under my belt. I've been studying trauma. Like my brain is like trying to like, you know, make meaning real quick. Like, why can't we connect the dots? What's going on? And I looked at my phone and I was like, there has to be a stupid app for this. Like we have to do something when someone is in a trauma response that they can like get, get you know, instant release, relief and help. In this episode of Leadership Adelics, we welcome Dr. Melissa Barker, founder and CEO of The Phoenix Project, mentor and speaker at South by Southwest and so much more. Her mission is to empower individuals on their healing journey inspired by her own path overcoming sexual violence and PTSD through alternative therapies, including psychedelics. Join us as Melissa and I discuss her healing journey, the transformative role of psychedelics in mental health, her vision for the Phoenix Project, and the importance of community-based programs for healing and growth. Don't miss this inspiring conversation and see you on the other side. Dr. Melissa Barker, welcome to Leadership Adelics. I'm so happy to that you could join us today. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And and it's been quite a, a challenging day, it sounds like, you know, between the uh, loss of Wi-Fi in California and last time the some some climate issues. Oh yeah. It has been a very interesting year. Um, as I was sharing before we jumped on, lost Wi-Fi suddenly this morning. I don't know why. So scrambled and came to a friend's house. So thank you <laughs> for that. Um, and then we had to reschedule because I was having power outages due to I don't even know what atmospheric river that was, but um, one of the many that we've had this whole year. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm always envious of California from from Seattle here. We've got terrible, we're known for our, our terrible weather in the winter. So, you know, when when I got you on the on the call last time and you were like, yeah, you know, it's a storm and it might rain or snow or whatever. I was like, wow, the, the world is really upside down. It's so upside down. We are here in California. This we're just trying to understand our our new normal, uh, which seems to be flooding through the winter, and then who knows what our fire season will look like this year. So yeah, you know we're we're just in it. We're just we're, we're, of us are. As we're, many of us are. We're, we're adapting as best as best we can. Now, yeah. for for people listening who are not familiar with 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 you and who you are. And, and if my little intro that comes before this uh, didn't do justice, um, could you please give a, a brief intro of, of kind of who you are in the, in the nutshell? And we'll dive in deeper later. Absolutely. So I'm uh, Dr. Melissa Barker. I have an EDD in transformative leadership studies. So leadership is, is a love language of mine. Uh, I Let's see. I have an extensive background in working in the trauma spaces. So I used to work in higher education and worked at UC Berkeley and created custom programming for students that were non-traditional students at UC Berkeley, but all had a really, really sordid history with trauma. So um, generational trauma, personal trauma. um, And I got to solve, how do you help these students get through this really incredible university that is UC Berkeley while, you know, navigating their own trauma, which a campus like Berkeley is wonderful at triggering. <laughs> I also have a very interesting relationship with Berkeley. Actually, I also uh, was one of the the Title IX, uh, there were 31 of us that filed the Title IX suit against UC Berkeley for mishandling sexual assault cases and sexual violence cases. And so we were part of that um, landmark case and saying, you know, there need to be changes systemically to support survivors and to make this a safer environment. Um, so we're not continuing to re-traumatize those who are already traumatized. Um, 
And then I, let's see, founded my own company, The Phoenix Project in 2018, kind of on the heels of Me Too, initially with the idea to support survivors of sexual violence and build a community collective care model to, to help them with navigating trauma, healing, resources, mental health, all of those things. Uh, and then when the pandemic happened, um, you know, the world literally flipped upside down for all of us. And we decided, or I decided, let's put Phoenix in the world as a COVID response. You know, we're about to be in this moment of global trauma. Let's yeah. let's make Phoenix available to all. And I learned so much in that little, that little journey. It's been, it's wild. It's been three years, almost to the day since we really started putting Phoenix out there. We were on the front lines of COVID offering free trauma healing, resourcing and community care. And now I'm in, um, at the precipice of like launching this new venture, which I've creatively dubbed Phoenix too. It's such a, such a creative, creative name, the rebirth, but the rebirth, exactly. true, true Phoenix experiences here. Um, but the, the whole idea of Phoenix too, is to actually create an audio first experience in integration for psychedelics. So if you're using psychedelic medicine to heal your trauma, to work through the human things that we get gifted in this lifetime, uh, we want to create an audio first experience to mm or integration. And again, community is at the center of that. So oh, it's great. Where, where can people learn about the, the Phoenix two project? Sure. So right now we're, we're going like, so stealth. It's like the, the running okay. joke, you know, of, of Silicon Valley. Uh, we have a website. <laughs> we're, we're actually winding down Phoenix one, um, which is a whole experience as a founder to, to watch your first product come in and then say, okay, it's time to close this one down while we build this new iteration. So if you go to our website, um, I am phoenixproject.com. No, um, there www.iamphoenixproject.com. You can sign up for our newsletter and we'll happily share with everybody our updates as we're, as we're getting ready to launch this, this new product into the market. Great. I'm really uh, excited about it. I, yeah. Yeah. I, it's it's coming together as a really beautiful beautiful you know accumulation of everything we've been building and learning and mm. um and an advisor remind me last week he was like you know you've been working on this like trauma healing thing for decades like you you've been trying to figure out like how do we help people heal their trauma in a way that's sustainable and actually you know has that inner transformation that that we need in order to to move forward in our lives yeah. Okay. That's beautiful. Phoenix, Phoenix too is like she, she's all coming together. All those all those parts are gonna be in one in one product. Yeah, and I I love the name. Yeah, wonderful name. Uh, now there's a few threads here that I'm noticing in your journey. There's the there's the leadership. There's um, the the sense of community, helping mm -hmm. other women as well is another important part of the journey, um, and and psychedelics of course. <laughs> When did you pick up the the flagpole to to start on that journey of of helping others with trauma? What what was kind of the the, the moment that that kind of changed your life and say that's gonna I'm gonna make this my mission? This is gonna be my this is gonna be my thing to bear. Yes, that's a wonderful wonderful question. I it, it so actually there's a very specific moment. This is actually really fun. Thank you. As a founder, it's like, we never remember these moments. We're like, oh yeah, the, there was a Genesis moment that like clicked it all together. Um, I was in my doctorate. So this would have been, 
uh, let's see, 2019-ish, I want to say. So the lawsuit with UC Berkeley, I had two going at the same time because, you know, there were some problems to deal with. So I was like bearing this, the brunt of like taking on, it was very like David and Goliath, you know, taking on this giant system and, you know, putting a stake in the ground and saying like, we can do better, you know, we we can do better. And I was also, I had left the university on such a level of burnout um, because I was seeing students come to my door, my office with the same systemic traumas that, you know, we had been fighting to shift and change with policy and all these things. And so I was at a point in my doctorate when I was in a um, qualitative course and the professor had this wild idea. It's like academia trauma to, to make us like sit in this giant fishbowl and like real time, we had to sit with a, with a cohort member and get interviewed. Right. So it was this idea of like, let's practice like qualitative interviewing and Um, her ethics were interesting. I'll just put it at that. And so she knew on a personal level, like things that were going on in my life, right? Like two lawsuits against UC Berkeley, you know, I'm a single mom, I'm in this doctorate, I'm trying to figure out my, my focus of research, you know, all these things that are just already you know, a lot to hold. And so she told my cohort member that was going to interview me. I want to watch you make Melissa cry, like crack her. I've, I'm familiar with this practice from like a social justice lens. It's a really interesting way that, that I've seen social justice leaders, like create these beautiful dialogues of conversation where observers sit on the outside and are granted the privilege of watching this dialogue happen. This professor though, was like, flip in the power dynamics. You know, it's like, you're in the middle, you're in the hot seat. We're going to really, really apply the pressure. So her journey, her, her stuff, we'll, we'll just leave that over there. I don't know what, anyways, it was a lot. It was a lot of pressure. And so I'm sitting in, you know, around all of my classmates, I'm in the middle, my poor cohort members looking at me going like, I'm so sorry. Like, I, I don't want to have to like take you where I think we have to go in this conversation, but like, you know, our professor was really pushing. And I looked at him, I was like, yeah, I, I get it. Like, here we are at the, you know, the mercy of academia, the things you do to, to get these degrees, which is another conversation in itself. Um, and so, you know, he's asking me these questions and he's being incredibly like, you know, trying to really like, you know, be gentle. And she just kept saying like, you need to like drill harder, like really get in there. Like Melissa has a story, get her to tell it, like really, really break her. And there was one question, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was the question like made me break, right? So I, in front of my entire cohort and professor, have a panic attack in the middle of this fishbowl. I can't leave. I'm not allowed to like get up. I can't breathe. You know, I'm like literally having a massive trauma response because, you know, she was pushing like push all Melissa's trauma buttons and let's see what happens. We get through the interview. I immediately walk out of the room when I'm allowed to leave, which again, so much more to unpack here. And I'm in the bathroom and all I have is my cell phone. And I'm sitting there in the stall, having this panic attack, looking at my phone and going in my mind thinking, I have 10 plus years of trauma therapy under my belt. I've been studying trauma. Like my brain is like trying to like, you know, make meaning real quick. Like, why can't we connect the dots? What's going on? And I looked at my phone and I was like, there has to be a stupid app for this. Like we have to do something when someone is in a trauma response that they can like get, get, you know, instant release relief and help. And that was it. That was, that was the moment I, Mm. I said, um, no more. Like I, I am an incredibly privileged, educated woman that couldn't 
work through that highly triggered moment to get to the root. This was pre-psychedelics, by the way. So I will now say like if this had happened and I was using psychedelic medicine, oh, I just think a whole different scenario would have played out. I just would have been like, look at all this karma floating around, you know? <laughs> not my journey. I'm going to detach, I'm gonna, um, which, you know, God bless the medicine, right? Like it, it's just, but it was, it was that moment. And, you know, it's also the accumulation of, again, like watching people struggle and suffer and then knowing firsthand, you know, the lived experience of what trauma does, you know, it robs you of life. It robs you of joy. It robs you of it, it, it's not and the trauma in itself, obviously, is enough of a problem. It's it's the after results. Yeah. And that's where you get people get really stuck and hung up and can just loop these patterns over and over, even though they know this isn't how I want to live. This isn't how I want to feel. And so uh, as we were talking you know, before we logged on, I love technology. I think technology can do beautiful things to disrupt and create things when done consciously. And so I just right there was like, I'm making my mission to build some tech around this thing because because you know, I don't want people to suffer needlessly. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I I also wasn't familiar with the trauma at UC Berkeley or, mm-hmm. you know, like people getting higher degrees. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, is this uh, pressure in the environment or like, I, I'm mm-hmm. curious to understand how yeah. that manifests because I've, I've yeah. seen trauma in like the corporate setting, for example, uh, yeah. I didn't go to, I mean, I went to universities, but I didn't get like a, a master or anything, you know, mm-hmm. a doctorate or anything like that. So I think it's very different. And yeah. a lot of people aren't familiar with what it takes uh, to get through oh, this program. It takes that pound of flesh. No joke. Like it really, <laughs> it really does take, um, you know, it, I look at it from a systems lens, right? Humans. <laughs> create these systems that have these power dynamics in them. And within those power dynamics, whenever you have power dynamics, you have basically an opening for trauma, right? Because someone is going to have an experience where they're othered or they're, you know, put in a position where they're not protected. And unfortunately it's, it's part of the human condition. You know, we, we create a lot of messes for each other. We create, we create a lot of pain and, I, you know, pulling back the layer, the, you know, peeling back the onion even more really believe that when someone is, is holding trauma within their body or their, their field or anything, you know, hurt people, hurt people. They don't do it intentionally. It's not from this. I mean, sometimes there are people that there is malice intent, but for the most part, like it's, it's unconscious. Like they're acting out these patterns that are causing harm and creating again, these, these, these trauma loops, right? These, these traumas that, just accumulate over time and and become just just too much in our in our systems. And so within academia, there's a lot of trauma. There's these systems that you know you you are pitted up against to prove your worth over and over. I mean, there's truly academic hazing that happens, you know, at mm. these these levels. And I had a, a professor one time tell me, because I was, oh my gosh, so normal. Also, I want to normalize it's to want to drop out of these higher education systems is, is like a thing that happens. And I was at a point of wanting to really leave my doctorate behind. And a professor was like, yeah, that's so normal. You know, this, this is not for the faint of heart. There's a reason not everybody has these things, but this is what you've got to do. Like you've got to warrior through. And hmm. 
I did it. You know, I graduated. I became a doctor. I dissertated through the pandemic. I, I actually, you know, and I'll send you, um, that could be fun. I'll send you my doctorate photos and my mask and everything, you know, I'm in, like the full hood and all of that masked up. Um, you know, I did it. I, and I, and I'm grateful for it, but like the toll it took, I mean, five years of your life. And then you add on, you know, a master, you add on undergrad. This is, this is a long, long journey to, to earn these degrees and there's merit in them. There's, there's a need for them. And I believe that we can create systems that do not create the type of trauma <laughs> that these power dynamics can create. Um, you know, I will say after that experience with that professor, I made it very well known to my department that she was not to touch anything that I did. I was like, I don't want her on my committees. No. I don't want her reading my exams. I don't want, you know, I was, I was pretty vocal to say, that's not okay. You know, that, that could have been done in a different way. And I, I didn't need that, nor does any other student need that. And again, that's where these systems, right. They're in place and you have to, you have to learn how to to navigate them and advocate for yourself. But that in itself is an entire body of labor, you know? Yeah. Wow. And then with Berkeley, there was a lot of uh, power dynamics there. Um, My assailant was a PhD student and I was, an undergrad and a single mom. I went to Cal when my daughter was uh, just starting kindergarten. So I brought a five-year-old with me to Berkeley. Um, I lived in student family housing and this, you know, ex-partner of mine had been abusive. I had gotten away from the relationship. I had moved away, but he was stalking me and my daughter and it was horrible. And I kept reporting him and reporting him and reporting him. Um, And the university just kept kind of shrugging it off and, uh, four, let's see, this was in 2011. So yeah, three, three plus years later, he was arrested for assaulting one of his students. And so I went to, at this time I was working back on campus, which is a whole other, like how I got, you know, I just kept like coming yeah. back to this place. I clearly had some karma to work out <laughs> with, that, with that university. Cause I kept being like, sure, I'll show up and take a job here and work with all the students with drama. I'd love to do that um, while I'm re-traumatizing myself. Love it. So <laughs> I get to work one day and I like open my computer and his, his face is literally in an email from the chancellor saying he's being removed off campus. You know, we know he assaulted a student. We're under investigating this. And this was, you know, 2014 when the, when the campuses globally, I mean, nationally were starting to like tell this story. So the hunting ground is a documentary that came out of, of this, um, this experience where students were saying, no, we're not being protected. Our access to our education is being denied because we're going through these traumas, which are, are you know, impacting the way we can show up as students. Yeah. So um, it was it was a really wild and interesting time. And I remember, you know, seeing his photo and thinking, this all could have been stopped, you know, yeah. this, this could have been stopped. And this is for whatever reason, this is like, so when you're going back to your, your question of like, what made me say, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to pick up that trauma flag and carry, carry it up the hill. Um, this is like part of my dharma. I, I have something in this lifetime. I'm here to help clear this. I'm here to help shift these things. I'm here to say, how can we alchemize this pain into healing? And I recently just had another experience where I, I had, I mean, this is what led me to psychedelics. I had an assault at a spa in Austin last March, reported it, did all the things, found out literally a month ago, two more women were assaulted after me because my claim wasn't taken seriously. And so 
I, I mean, we can talk about this. I can tell you yeah. the journeys I went on after that one, you know, because now they're psychedelics. So I'm like, well, I've got some medicine to lean into to try to figure this stuff out. And the medicine just kept saying, trust your path. You you are you are being put here for a reason. You have to walk it. Just keep going one step in front of the other. But you can imagine like how much anger that brought up in me and yeah. frustration and and thinking like, what is it with my my story that you know I I have to I have to be a silence breaker and I don't take that lightly. I, I really am honored and humbled by by that. Yeah. By no, that's that's beautiful and and I appreciate you sharing sharing all that. So and now with all that growth you 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 went through your initiations um this is a a theoretical question if if your younger self today was was wanting to go through the same program you went through that doctorate program Mm -hmm. what would your advice be to her in the current landscape if it's changed at all or not (laughs) Yeah, that's a, that's actually a great question. Uh, so the the rebel in me wants to be like, don't waste your time, <laughs> you know, skip it. These are all constructs. None of this is real. Um, but, but I think like if you know she was she was still like, no, I I, I need to get that those 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 letters matter. I want to be Doctor Barker. Um, I would tell her build your advocacy, build your, your team of supporters that are going to cheerlead you on. And I, I don't want to speak poorly of my whole program. I, I had this experience with this professor. Other people had experiences with this professor. So these weren't isolated experiences, but I had personally a dissertation chair who was my champion of champions. I put together a committee for my dissertation that championed my work. Um, and actually, even my dissertation was kind of an F you to academia because I chose to do an autoethnography. And so in academia, you know, validity and all these, you see my my academia was validity and all these things of like, how are you going to show that your data has weight and actually is, you know, holds value to it? In autoethnography, you are the data, like your lived experience is the data. And like, it's wild what you have to do to say to the 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 thing that is academia my story my experience holds value and worth and is worth studying and so you know i i again picked up this this warrior you know moment of saying yeah i'm going to go head to head with my whole entire department and justify why i'm doing my dissertation this way um but i i had these incredible advocates. And so if I were to go back to my younger self, I'd say put those advocates around you real quick because you're going to need them. And I I think that's a bigger theme of life, right? Like we need to have our inner circles. Mm -hmm. We need to have our communities. We need to have the people that witness all of us. And they're saying, yeah, I'm here for you. I'm I'm here for you to lean on. I'm here to help you remember who you are and get back up. Um, I would also say, girl, you go find psychedelics so much faster, please, please. <laughs> well, that's, that's a great, that's a great uh, segue here. Um, so, at which point, um, at which point did you cross path with psychedelics? So, and this is like again, these are such fun questions because it's like so fun to noodle. I in, unintentionally came to psychedelics when I was eighteen. Um, I did, I, I want to swear. I'm not going to swear because I want to be appropriate. I did a very large amount of mushrooms. <laughs> um, 
and had this massive journey. And in my experience, you know, I'm, I'm a survivor numerous times over. I, I now call these points of initiation. It's taken a lot of work to get there. And there's a lot of unpacking there too. Um, but I had, I was assaulted when I was 17 and from that assault, a trauma from when I was five came fully into memory. And it was just, it was like, I was kind of like living this, like, oh my gosh, like what, what is all of this, you know? So I was 18 and in college round one, um, totally in trauma, not knowing what I was doing. And I had roommates that were like, Hey, do you want to do a ton of mushrooms tonight? And we did not know what we were doing. We smoked them. We ate them. We drank them like to the moon, like talk about beyond macro dosing. And I was like violently ill and I had this incredibly wild journey, but in it, I actually convened with like my inner self, like that little five-year-old who I had like, you know, just Mm. had this experience of this trauma. She was running around and playing and guiding me. And I was like running around and laughing and, you know, I didn't have any idea in that moment that I was doing trauma work, right. That I was, the medicine was calling to me and saying like, let's, let's start to work and heal. You know, let's, let me show you what I can show you. Same thing with MDMA. You know, I came to MDMA, which um, I aged myself, you know, we called it ecstasy. Um, I, I, you know, took it at a rave, you know, when I was 18 and had this incredibly amazing experience again, had no idea the, like the reverence to be in with this medicine. And then, you know, cannabis and I have had our Californian had our own, you know, journey and all of that. So it was when I was I was assaulted during that massage last March. Mm. I came back from Austin. My partner was mirroring to me like just how reactive I was being with my PTSD, which makes sense, right? I have trauma. I have CPTSD really because of all the compounded trauma. And he's like, you're irritable. You're like, you know, he's like, you're not sleeping. Like all these things, right? Like he just kept saying like, we need to get you help. We need to get you help. And I remember sitting there and I was looking at SSRIs. And I was thinking, no, like that's, this isn't depression. This isn't, this is trauma. Like this is my entire nervous system is on fire because I was assaulted because, you know, and I could like, I knew again, academic brain knew exactly what was going on, but couldn't find the solution. Um, was trying all the things that I used to do, EMDR, breath work, somatic work, like these things that I've had in my wheelhouse forever as part of my trauma healing toolkit, nothing was breaking through, you know, essentially this veil to get my body to settle, my nervous system to settle. And so I found ketamine. I was like, cool, it's legal. I can get sent to my house. I feel good about that. I can do this like, you know, at home, in the privacy of my own space. Started with ketamine, microdosing, you know, um, through Mind Bloom. And quickly like started to feel like shifts in my nervous system and was like, okay, there's something here. Uh, and then I went to, I had a wild year last year, like talk about a Phoenix year. I sold my house. I moved, my daughter went off to college. I mean, all these massive life changes while I'm like in the vortex of this, this yeah. fresh trauma that's bringing up these old traumas. And then I was on Maui, um, where I used to live by the way. So Maui's like home. And I was on one of my favorite beaches and all of a sudden I got this like tap of like, you should try mushrooms again. <laughs> and I was talking to my friend who loves mushrooms and she's like, I can't stand up. You know, like, like we didn't have any, um, actually, no, we did get some, we got some chocolates, uh, and you know, had a little fun there. And I was like, Oh, okay. All right. There's something here at psilocybin. So I started to dabble with psilocybin, started to dabble with microdosing. And the more I leaned into the medicine, I just kept getting these, you know, these messages of like, follow the path, keep listening, like, it's almost like I, I equate it as like a tapping, you know, there's yeah. kind of like, hmm, you know, what's next. 
And I decided through all of that, that I wanted to do an MDMA macro journey intentionally. I sought out a guide, you know, I'm here in the Bay area. So we're so fortunate that we have guides at our disposal. So it wasn't that hard to send a quick signal message to be like, who's doing what in the world, you know, um, found a guide out of Oakland who's just phenomenal. And really, I said, Hey, I want to do this intentionally. This will be my first time using this, this thing with intentionally, intention, you know, <laughs> uh, so let's, let's see what that's like. Um, and we put together this beautiful, beautiful program. And I had an incredible, incredible macro journey. We did um, MDMA and then MDA as the, as the booster. And it was the first time I fully embodied what I could feel like if there wasn't trauma in my system. Like I could feel my higher self fully come on. I had this massive trauma release from my body, which, you know, brings up, I remember my guide was like, so you're going to have more work now. Like we just, we just did a lot of excavating and now you've got more work to do. So how fun with that. Um, you know, which, which brought up more to look at and continue to look at. And it was just going back to the medicine and, and just kind of like having to hit my brain, my body a few times, like really heavily to get through the veil. And then I was able to, to start finding my groove and, I'll say now I'm I'm intuitive microdosing, which I love. I'm, you know, when I'm called to journey, I, I step in in this beautiful ceremony. It's it's just a completely different experience than when I started, and I mean it's changed my life. You know, it's yeah. it's I can feel my brain changing. It's it's amazing. Yeah, and and there's been studies that show how mm. the, the brain is being impacted. I mean, the, the study was with DMT, but there's other studies with uh, mushrooms and other psychedelics. I was just reading that study, the DMT study. I was reading over the weekend, actually. Yeah. That's actually the next calling I have. I'm, I'm working with a guide right now to put together um, a solo journey and retreat with a, with a shaman and her and, you know, um, very intentionally down on the coast. And I told her, I was like, look, I... When I first started this, I never thought that was going to be something for me. I'm like, no, 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 no. And I've just been getting these, these whispers and I'm like, okay, I feel like I, I'm understanding. Like when, when the call happens, you, you listen. And so I'm, I'm leaning into that and I feel, you know, I feel like there's this, this next journey coming for me. Yeah. I mean, DMT, they say it impacts your neuroplasticity. We, we did see that we used um, EEGs uh, in our wow. retreats last October. So we actually saw the changes in brain plasticity um, oh. happening after three ayahuasca ceremonies, which we saw a 30 to 50% improvement uh, oh across five guests in their brain plasticity. Um, and brainwave normalization was another one, same, same similar improvement. And then the study came out where they actually explained the chemistry behind that. Um, and I was like, yeah, we actually measured that in, in our retreat. So, oh. you know, it's, it's quite fantastic. And, and, you know, the big question is lasting, um, how much lasting yeah. effects there are. And so I'm curious, like for you, you, you had that, um, uh, macrodose with, um, MDMA and MDA as the booster, um, how did you integrate that back in your life? Like, what was your process after that? Oh, my process was a mess. 
process was, was a full on mess. You know, we were, this journey was supposed to happen earlier in the fall. And then I lost an aunt really suddenly. And so that basically pushed the timeline back a month with everything, uh, which, which was what needed to happen. You know, everything happened in divine timeline. And, but because we did this journey in December, um, I, my, I rolled right into the holidays, which, you know, yay for all of the triggers that those bring out for us on a good day. Um, and so I, I was like, it was a true dark night of the soul. Like it was, my guide had told me, you know, she said, look, we're going to, we're going to turn off those parts of you, those protector parts. We're going to really turn them off. And they, they might get real loud on the rebound and they might really, really come for you. And that's exactly what happened. You know, I came out of the journey. I, I was really, you know, quiet that whole weekend. I was resting. I was, you know, you know, like, okay, I'm doing okay. And then I remember we had our first integration session, like three or four days later. And I just told her, I was like, my entire nervous system's on fire. I don't, you know, I was like, I don't trust my partner. I need to get out of here. So we had to kind of put together, um, for lack of better words, like a crisis plan. And I went to a hotel, which was also an experience because then you're just thrown upon everyone's energy, right? But, you know, went to a hotel for a couple of weeks and I just kind of grounded there and had like my little integration nest. But I was I was really, really writing out some dark, dark stuff that was, that was coming. And one of my parts, you know, um, this is me applying the IFS lens. One of my parts wants to escape, wants to say like, Hey, this is a little too hard. There's an out, you know, we could take. And that part was really, really vocal. You know, it was a lot of suicidal ideation. I was, you know, in this hotel room by myself, I was really isolated. I had to really, really work to, to talk to that part. And we used ketamine actually to help on the rebound. I was microdosing ketamine like every seven days to kind of go in, um, and actually address that part, really call it forward and say, yeah. we're going to have to have a conversation. And I remember in, in one of those moments, I was, um, I journey on a giant sheepskin rug. It's everyone makes fun of me, but it's my thing. And I love it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like lying on this giant sheepskin rug, like in fetal position, crying and crying and crying. And I was so mad at all my spirit guides. I was like, screw you. Like I'm in a really bad place right now. I didn't want to come here. Like, yeah. Oh, you know, I'm like really in it. I felt like, you know, my, my kind of like the veil thin, I felt yeah. like my, my support come in. And then I was like, okay, you are here. All right. All right. And then I was able to get really clear and like tap into myself, right. My adult self, my higher self and say, um, we got to call that part forward that keeps wanting to exit. You know, I called it forward and it was so interesting. It was like a little boy with his arms crossed and he was like really pissed off and he like sat in his chair all slumped. And I was just like, Cool. I get it. You don't want to be, I get it. I totally get it. And I sat down in front of him and I just said, look, you're like, you're really winning the battle right now. Like <laughs> you're very convincing. And I totally understand why you're doing it. Like we, we went and we just, we said a bunch of stuff in that journey and we, we admitted a bunch of stuff and we released a bunch of stuff. I'm not kicking you out of the car, but you can't be in the driver's seat. Like I really need you to go no. sit in the back. Can, can you do that for me? Can we, can we work together? And that's, you know, IFS, that's what the whole goal is, right? You want this, this self to be able to say, I'm going to hold these parts with love and compassion and care and not demonize them. And that part, you know, literally looked at me and was like, oh yeah, okay, cool. I'll go sit back there. Shame's back there, you know, <laughs> like 
self abandonment's back there. Love those people. <laughs> They're my buddies. You know, let's go sit back there. And it was like, I was able to kind of like get myself back online, but we, you know, I had to work really, really hard to integrate that journey. And I still had waves coming through in January and February, you know, that were like these parts. Um, there was so much to process. I also intentionally went right into a microdosing protocol mid-January with another guide um, because I was realizing I did not know what I was doing with microdosing. I was like, we gotta, I gotta be in reverence with this medicine. Like this is ancient, ancient indigenous wisdom. So I brought in a guide that's rooted in all of that. And she was like, all right, we're going to put together a protocol. And we were, we were very, very gently microdosing, which I think also helps with the integration. But again, there were days where it was like, this is too much. This is too heavy. There's too much emotion. She's like, we're going to pull it back. And, um, it, it was a lot of trial and error, yeah. but I, in all of this, you know, I think, how do we, again, build a technology solution so people can kind of not have as a bumpy road. You know, I don't, I don't want people to, some people need to have a month long dark night of the soul. I certainly did. It was part of my journey. I did it. I wrote it out, but you know, I think there's our ways we can also like help people resource and, I am very fortunate that I've put an entire team of guides around me that I could, you know, call in and yeah. say, this is going on. How do we address this? What do we do? And, and we could, we could customize everything. No, it's amazing how resourceful you, you were having that, that team of guides around you because uh, you're able to like find exactly what you need, tweak uh, what you need uh, to be tweaked. And I, and I love how you're bringing your, your um, trauma related education in the picture, how you, you brought in IFS. I was actually going to ask you about IFS. So you just, you know, Put it right in there, um, <laughs> and I'm fascinated about IFS. Uh, but like, could you explain a little bit about IFS to like people who are not familiar with it? Like, I'm familiar with it. I think about the movie Inside Out. Yeah. Um, totally. but if, you know, can can you go into a little bit more details there? Yeah, absolutely. So, Internal Family Systems is the work of Dr. Schwartz, whom I have yet to meet, but would love to meet. Um, it, it's you know, and I'm not a trained you know my my academia or my background is not therapy, you know, it's not actual psychology. So this is me learning through my therapist. And basically, you know, we have these, these parts that come online that are here to protect us. You know, there's, there's the protectors, there's the exiles, there's the managers. And from what I've learned is like, these parts really were birthed out of traumas in my life, in my timeline, because they came in and they were like, all right, we got to, we got to keep the mothership alive. You know, we got, we got to do what we got to do to keep, keep this human going. And so they create these, um, these narratives, these mental models in a lot of ways. And these, these things show up as our coping mechanisms, our behaviors. And I have been really, really, you know, again, I've been really fortunate to have a therapist to put me into IFS 10 plus years ago. You know, this is part of the Bay area flex. Like it's just, just like, she was able to access these really early trainings when people weren't really, like really stepping into IFS. And so we've been incorporating this therapy for a long time. And so the goal though, is like, you really want this self, right? Yourself is your compass, your higher self, your healed self to be the one that's on board. Um, sometimes it's called your adult self, you know, that comes in and is, is able to, to kind of like look at the landscape and, and hold space for all of these parts, because all of these parts are here to help you and support you. They're not actually against you. And I think that's where 
you know, we can create these mental models of like, I have a suicidal ideation part, you know, and it, it really, it's a problem. And like, I'm going to demonize it. But by doing that, you're actually strengthening that part because then it's like, well, now you're trying to get rid of me. And if you get rid of me, like you're not going to survive. So I'm going to get stronger and bigger and louder to keep you, to keep you here. So what I find fascinating with psychedelics is it's just, it's such a beautiful marriage of the two, you know, like these parts can come in. And for me personally, it's been with ketamine. Ketamine is like the, the magic sauce that gets them all to come into the room. And I can have these beautiful and amazing conversations with them. Um, But again, from this place of my higher self, that's, that's holding them with love and admiration and empathy and says, Hey, like, I, I get it. You've been, you've been really, really working hard and I appreciate you. Um, and we rewrite your job description. Can we, can we shift it a little or can, yeah, you know, yeah. like with the suicidal ideation part, I said, can I get you to go to the back of the bus? You can be in the car. You're still in with me. You're still on the road, but like, just not in the driver's seat, you know? And I, I just think it's fascinating that we can access these parts in a way where they want to communicate and they want to talk and they want to be in this collaboration of our healing. You know, they want to be co-creators in healing. Um, but when you're using, you know, medicines like MDMA, those, those parts that are the protectors, the managers, all of that exiles, they get turned off. And so the rebounds can definitely be pretty intense. Um, you can do work on the front end. And we did, we did a lot of work to talk to these parts to be like, yeah going to turn you off for six to eight hours and you're not going to love it, but we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. And still I had like a very big rebound. It reminds me of inside out and they weren't consulted for the first inside out movie, but the second one, they, that hasn't come out yet. They were consulted. Um, also reminds me of an old movie called identity with John Cusack. Yeah. Um, where, you know, I'm spoiling it for people who haven't seen it, but you know, the whole movie took place inside somebody's head and it was like yeah. the interaction between those, those parts. Of course, that, that person was more shown to be a crazy person, uh, at the end, but like we still have all, all these parts in there and with all psychedelics. Yeah. Having those conversations with the different parts is a lot easier. And uh, another thing that I found out about um, uh, Dr. Schwartz is that he used IFS for leadership. And I still have to learn more about that. And Ooh, that's what I want to ask yeah. him uh, about during the podcast. But there's a lot of work, you know, with leaders to know, like, you know, what what part do you call upon, you know, when, yeah. when you're leading this way or leading that way or need to bring a community together. Um, I think exactly. that's fascinating work. They, they have, I mean, there's, and I, Dr. Schwartz is clearly going to do a much better job of explaining his entire body of work. Um, but I, I've done that. I have a part we've named her Phyllis. Uh, she, she, she is like organization queen. She's, um, I remember one day I was in therapy with my therapist and I was, this was when I was an undergraduate at Berkeley and I was so tired. I mean, I'm, you know, raising a child, I'm slogging through Cal, I'm, you know, dealing with all these systemic issues. And I remember I looked at my therapist and I said, all I want to do is take a nap. And Phyllis is just like, let's go write a book. Let's go, let's go get on this. Let's, let's speak about this. And I said, all I want to do is take a nap. And, you know, Phyllis, I've had to really learn how to work with Phyllis and say, I get it. Like you are my, you know, get it done, do it well, execute. Like, thank you, Phyllis, for the doctorate and all the things that we've accomplished in this, in this lifetime. 
And like, I need you to integrate with my entire system because running me to burnout is is not the way that we can, we can do that. And I did so much intentional work with Phyllis. Um, so, so, so much. And my therapist and I, you know, I can actually be in therapy or I can, in my own body can feel like that shift. And I'll be like, Hey Phyllis, what's up? Yeah, I get it. I get it. You're like, you're freaking, like she was freaking out this morning. She's like, the power's out. We don't have our makeup. You know, I was like, Phyllis, Sebastian's cool. It's going to be fine. We're going to show up. It's going to work. You know, but that's years and years of integrating and working. Um, And I think from a leadership standpoint, it's such a powerful modality to work within. And then from a trauma standpoint, it's, it's, I really love that it, it brings self-agency to someone that's had trauma. And so when, you know, you've had trauma, you're, you're fragmented, you're, your autonomy was taken from you on some level. And, you know, we can get into the different bodies, the spiritual, mental, et cetera, but that happened to you in this lived experience. And, you know, parts can clearly be created with their own, you know, ecosystems and worlds from that. But IFS, you know, bringing you back to that self, bringing you back online is really healing that self-agency and that self-autonomy. And it's, it's incredible. I, um, I leaned heavily into IFS for my dissertation as writing ethnography. I was like, you know, I literally said, these are journal entries from these parts of myself. They're, they're speaking, like we're going to give them room. And I do a lot with letting them paint. I let them make playlists. That's been really fun Mm. when they express themselves musically, again, audio. So I think this is just, you know, this entire body of work holds so much wisdom in it and, and psychedelics just again they they meld beautifully beautifully with it so great well um, and now there's phoenix too and i'm gonna ask a strange question and this is more from my uh product management uh background but let's go back to that panic attack you had and you were in the Mm -hmm. restroom and looking at your phone if you were the phone if you were the phoenix 2 app yeah. Uh, and you saw this this woman and uh, you know like having uh, going through that panic attack but you were the embodiment of that phoenix 2 experience what what would you do it's a great question so i'm going to approach it from two lenses yeah. like it's on the roadmap you know we need this sos like how do you get instant instant support but looking at this audio experience, like how could you get someone in the room immediately where they could feel witnessed and they could feel held in community. And, and that's the idea is like these actual audio rooms to intentionally be like stepping into listening to people, integrate their experiences, listening to people like almost like crowdsourcing how they're healing. Now, a trigger like that, when you're in that type of like SOS, you're not going to be able to go into like, oh, I'm doing an integration circle right now, or I'm like stepping into an IFS, you know, chat. That's not going to get you there. So it's on the roadmap that we have to almost like build, build, and then go backwards to say, how do we catch the people in actual crisis? Yeah. Uh, because I think that that is a one-to-one model, not a one-to-many. And in a one-to-one model, you know, something like crisis text, you know, it's like, how do you, how do you let that person know immediately that they're not alone in the world and that they have, they have support. So, so, so if you were that experience that, that 
embodiment of that that app and and you were looking at yourself um going through that that challenge you'd start a conversation basically with with that person and how would that conversation go yeah that's a good question i think it's at the very least it's just hey i see you i see you and i'm right here with you and you're not alone Yeah, I see you. Right? I see you. Yeah, exactly. I I see you. Like it's, it's, it's like this witnessing. Yeah. It's, this, it's this witnessing, and like, how do you? And I think about this all the time. You know, I, from a product standpoint, of frustration, I've, I've learned painfully. When you're building a product, is, is we can't catch everybody. We can't build for everybody. We can't yeah. build for every experience. I like to say yet, because. As we're out there, as we're testing, as we're learning, you know, we can we can get smarter and more efficient and say, okay, so there is an experience that we can have that that can onboard somebody immediately if they're in crisis. We don't have it yet, but I do think there's a way to do it. I also think, you know, just trauma 101, how do you get someone back in their body when they're in crisis, when they're in trigger? And so that's where I think you could also have content, you know, that's, that's really curated to say, okay, this is SOS content. Do these, do these things that we can at least get them partially back online. And, you know, when you have someone in trauma, right, the goal is we want to move them through this healing experience. And so get them out of the, the crisis, you know, and get them into the rooms or the, the content or the journeys that, that are going to help them build the tools and resources around them. So if, and when, that SOS moment happens again, they've got something in their real house. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's partly like, you know, this is like the, the startup pain points of like, I keep like manifesting in my brain. I'm like, there's going to be an amazing product person. It's just going to be like, this is how we solve it, you know, but it's been, a, it's been a struggle. You know, I, I go, whenever I build or I vision building, I always think of these parts, you know, going back to the parts, what would Melissa at 17 need? What would Melissa at five need? I mean, five is a different conversation, but like, you know, what would Melissa, you know, in her doctorate trapped in a bathroom, having a panic attack need? How do we build for these moments? And the reality is that some of it is like, it's got to go on the, we can't build it yet, but it's coming. Yeah. And we, we put like the pin, the pin in the, <laughs> in the, the put a pin market. in it. Yeah, pin in it. Um, but it's, it's something that, you know, it's, a, it's a different experience when someone's in, in, crisis versus someone's like, okay, I'm stepping into this work. That's why we chose integration first. I said, let's start with integration. Let's create this incredible audio first experience for integrating because we know someone's like in the work, you know, they're coming to us like in it. And then I said, you know, we're going to really quickly probably have to figure out what to do for crisis management. And integration is, is really important because it's so easy to get sucked back in your, in your routine and, and all the, it's not just a routine. It's the way people see you is still yeah. the same way they saw you before, even though now you're a new person. So you're you're going against kind of your old projected self and you want to project a new self. And so like there's there's a lot of readjustment that need to happen during the integration. So much. And then again, you have those parts, right? Those parts that are like well-oiled machines and are like, you're getting a little outside of the box. Let's like put you back into what yeah. we know and keep like with some of those behavior mechanisms. And I, I think, you know, what's been so fascinating is to feel for me and my brain to feel like a pause. So before I go into the reaction, which is, you know, rooted in a trauma response to have like kind of the buffer where I can be like, no, I, 
I know what happens if I fire that text off and I know what plays out. I'm going to go, I'm going to go a different route or I'm going to, I'm going to pause and like come back to self and, and then approach this conversation. And again, from a, from a trauma standpoint, when you've lost that, that self agency, that, that self sense of self, it's so foreign to actually say, I'm not going to do the thing that I keep doing just because it feels normal. I'm going to actually do the thing that feels better. And I'm going to like kind of slowly start to trust that that's safe. And then, you know, you build, you build on there. So. Yeah. Beautiful. And, and I love, you know, the, the ICU response, you know, it's, it's letting the person, they're not alone that they're seeing there's a connection. Um, I was I was thinking about the experience as you were talking about. I know that. I might be picking your brain on a product and, stand. Watch out! Know. I'm like, do you want to be an advisor? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, no. I mean, I, I can see it, but it's it's a mix of tools and connection, right? Because you need tools to get out from the state you're in, so that you can actually yep. connect with somebody. Because you get in such a state that it's it's a contraction. Exactly. It's, it's a contraction exactly. that prevents yeah. connection at that point. Yeah. So in order for you to de, de uh, to expand that contraction, decontract, yeah. relax, you need to have the tools to do that. And you know, as contracted as you can be, if somebody is like, "I see you," I'm like, "Fuck you!" I'm contracted. Totally. Sorry. Oh my gosh! But, completely. Yeah. You know, so yeah. how do you get into that mode? And and you know, it's interesting because you could have like prescribe tools or you could create experiences like it could be musical audio whatever that are soothing in themselves like meditation app that slowly get you back there and then you can bring the connection you know slowly fanning that out to like oh i see you and then now i've got the community so yeah and now you can like step um, into this room and i mean we've i've you know envisioned like do we have a room of like hi i have panic attacks every day you know and it's just a bunch of people like audibly talking about like how they get through panic attacks and what part of, you know, Phoenix choose, you know, birth and vision is pre pandemic. And we're kind of slowly getting back to this. I used to do this stuff all over the country. I would, anytime I was traveling for work or speaking, I would intentionally hold gatherings for survivors and say, Hey, we're going to come together in a room and talk about healing. And there would always be someone in the room. And these were at the time they were just for women. Cause my, my lived experience so learn from what I knew. And, and there would always be women that would share. There would always be women that would listen. And there would always be women that were somewhere in the middle. And every time without fail, someone will come up to me after and say, I know I didn't say anything, but I heard what I needed to hear. Or I understood like this thing that I've been trying to figure out about myself. Cause when this other person shared their experience, I suddenly felt witnessed and seen And now I think I know what I need to go, like, you know, what I need to go work. And so thank you. And so I think that's, you know, again, creating an audio Mm. first experience. People just sometimes need to be in the room to hear. That's medicine. You know, there's medicine and just hearing and witnessing someone else can also like, you know, it can be a catalyst for your own self-healing. And again, like going back to the the SOS part, like that's a, that's a different experience. That's when I'm in a trigger I'm not going to be like, yes, I can't wait to go to an integration circle. No, no, no. I don't want to be in that room. Like I got to work what's happening in that moment. And it's, yeah. it's you know, going to sometimes bring you to my knees. But I, again, I think like from a product standpoint, we can, we're going to figure out, we're going to figure out how to build for these, the, the full self 
in all of its nuances and, no, and grace. Yeah. That's yeah. beautiful. And and so you just came back from South by Southwest, right? I did. Yeah. Yeah. And we were just talking about <laughs> that before before the call. Um, what were some of the highlights there? Oh, I mean, AI, you know, buckle up as we were talking about. Yeah. And that's actually, I've been noodling, you know, as I'm playing more and more with AI, noodling, like, that's, that's kind of a very interesting trigger response because you could very rapidly curate something. And so I don't, I don't know what that is yet. Um, and I can already hear like a technologist advisor of mine being like, it's okay, that's going to take us down a rabbit hole. Um, but, but I think, so there were a few, a few really interesting moments. And so I'm going to go back to a, a ketamine journey I had yeah. like three weeks prior. So, you know, going back to Austin a year later after the assault, was like a true Phoenix moment. You know, I, I left South by Southwest March of last year shattered and then watched my entire life in every aspect burn to the ground. And I kept like, you know, kept grasping. And then the universe was like, you yeah, know, I'm going to take that from you too. Oh, you thought you, no, I'm going to take that also, you know, really, really like had to, to walk through the fire, so to speak um, again with, with the, supportive medicine and, and psychedelics just really coming in and, and helping me steward this. So I did a lot of prep work with guides, getting myself ready to even go back to Austin. And I was speaking. So it was like, I had to go and work, you know, I had to perform. I was hosting um, a women in psychedelics brunch, which was so beautiful. It made me so happy. So it was like, I had to, I had to really go and show up, you know? And when I first got to Austin, I remember I got my stuff and I got into my Airbnb and I just started sobbing like just sobbing. My body didn't want to be there. I was like, I got to get out of here. I almost packed my stuff to leave. I was like, no, I'll just hop a flight back to California. This is fine. I'll just, nope, not going to do this. Checked in with a guide. You know, she gave me some somatic work to do. But prior to leaving, I had done this really intentional ketamine journey because I was like, I got to, I got to go kind of like look at this part that really doesn't want to go to Austin. You know, I got to, I got to go in and have a conversation with it. When I was in that journey, this was like two weeks before I left for Austin. Death walked in the door, just chilling, sat right next to me. and was like, hey, what's up? Death. I was like, oh, I've never seen you here before. What's going on? You know, and death was like, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I got to let you know, uh, you're going to die in Austin. So you got two weeks. Uh, it's going to come through your heart. I was like, oh, fascinating. Okay. Um, you know, that escapist part is like, oh, finally, like, thank you. You know, let's go back to whatever alien planet we hail from. I'm so ready. And I just was like, that's that's really interesting. So, okay, so in two weeks I die, it comes through my heart, it's gonna be in Austin. And then it it was like, I want you to know, like it's all, all these constructs. You keep putting yourself in these constructs, none of them are real. You know, you're you're here to bridge the worlds, you're here to bridge the worlds. I kept hearing that over and over, and I was just like, Cool, all right. I don't know what you're, I'm down to I'm death. I'm cool with whatever you're talking about. I'm totally into it. But out of that journey, I actually needed some help integrating that one. That one was a little wild afterwards. Mm -hmm. Like fireside was like, um, I need a little bit of support on this one. Cause this one was a little intense, you know? So, you know, have that journey two weeks later, I go to Austin, get to Austin, have this massive body response of like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. And I'm like, keep like kind of like feeling this journey. I'm like, am I dying in Austin? Like, is that, it's like something like, is, is this the end of my life? Like what, you know, all these existential things. 
leaned in to Austin, um, actually turned 41 in Austin. So had a beautiful birthday. And then Friday, March 10th. So my birthday was the ninth Friday, March 10th, show up for my speaking gig, um, at South by I'm like, all right, cool. You know, like I get to do this. This is what I love to do. I'm in the flow, blah, blah, um, do my thing, walk out of that, get a phone call from an advisor that says, Hey, did you hear Silicon Valley bank just fell? And I know that's your bank for the company. And I was like, what? So that immediately puts me into that whole thing, right? Fast forward to like six hours later, I'm at an investor party in Austin pull up. It's like Lamborghinis, like Maseratis. I was like, well, this is a weird, weird thing to step into knowing like Silicon Valley bank has just fallen. And we're like in this weird, yeah. you know, first Republic was being, you know, we were being told it's going to fall next. I was one of the few founders there. It was pretty much all investors. And I'm sitting there in the backyard and we had to wear these name tags that said like, you know, tell me something to talk to you about. So I just wrote psychedelics and audio, you know, that's a, that's an interesting conversation. So I had a lot of investors, you know, coming up to me, like, talk to me more about this and tell me how to microdose. And I was like, no, 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 that's not what I'm here to do. Um, but you know, fell into these really interesting conversations. And all of a sudden I had this aha moment of like, oh my gosh, I'm bridging the two worlds. I'm like sitting here thinking of like collective consciousness, building something as, you know, with psychedelics and this technology solution that is rooted in consciousness and rooted in healing and collective healing while watching investors real time pull money out of another bank that's about to topple. And I was literally like, oh my gosh, this is death. Like death, death just like just is everything that I was told. And one of the wildest conversations that came out of that was talking to these space investors that are colonizing the moon as we speak, yeah. which I didn't know we were doing. And, you know, all these things and I'm sitting there going like, oh my gosh, this is, this is part of like why I'm here. Like I'm, I'm invited into these rooms to bridge the two worlds. And like, clearly there's still money, plenty of money. If we're doing things on the moon, you know, these, these guys are not worried about Silicon Valley bank or these systems that are like putting our, our potential collective into, into crisis. They're still like holding their own. And I'm here to build a technology solution that is here to help people collectively heal and to help us remind us that we are one people. We are, it's Paul Stamets, actually his, his speech while I was speaking was, was uh, talking about how we are one people. We need to mm-hmm. remember this, you know, and it was, it was just this wild, like aha moment to talk about integration, right? It's just all like clicked really fast. So that was one. Another was um, I, I held this intentionally, this really beautiful brunch for women in psychedelics and I just knew intuitively, my gut was like, only let people that are truly in psychedelics in that room. Don't, you know, like this isn't to like be, it's, it's networking, but it's not. And the feedback I got after was you just held an integration circle for four hours for us. Like you let us actually drop in with one another. We got to actually talk. I watched women that were like, you know, knew each other from conferences and their work and stuff actually get to drop in with each other and really deeply go in and we had, there was this moment where I was standing in front of all these women and you know, when you're hosting an event, like you're not thinking about all these things. So my friend was like, everyone's in the room at the same time. Like, this is your opportunity to say, hi, I did this thing for us. So I like, you know, was standing there and I, I said, this is our, you know, let's plant the seed. Like if we're at conferences, let's try to always have this space that is intentionally ours where we can drop in, we can connect. Like this is, you know, so much magic is birth yeah. for me. 
And one of the women said, you know, women from the dawn of age have been coming and gathering around the fire. Like we're meant to tell stories. We're meant to grieve together. We're meant to heal together. We're meant to be in community together. And it just felt like all of us left just feeling so nourished and fed. And Mm. it was, it was so beautiful. And that was, you know, the medicine in January was giving me these downloads of like, you're going to host this thing. So go do it. And I got wow. it sponsored, you know, I got it taken care of. I, we found a beautiful space that was able to hold us. And, you know, I, I left Austin feeling like I had in so many ways walked through a death. Like it was like I was shedding this old version of me and stepping in to this, this new version. Wow. And yeah, I know. So inspiring. And, you know, imagine if you hadn't pushed through that, that voice that told you to pack back, yeah. you know, and head yeah. home. Like, yeah. it, like none of that would have happened. None of it. None of it. And that's that's the thing is like these these trauma loops and these parts again, you know, that was a part that was a part that said, OK, I know what to do. Let's run. Let's run. Let's get you out of the experience. Let's get you back to where you're comfortable. You know, you can work with your therapist about why you left. It's going to be fine. But instead, you know, it was, it was death. You know, I had to, I had to, I had to let that part die a little to say, no, I'm going to, I'm going to actually show up and walk through this, even though I'm scared, even though I'm really unsure of what's about to happen, you know, through this. And I, I think that's also something I'm still integrating. You know, I still am getting these like downloads of like, yeah, I did that thing. You know, I, I pushed through and not in like a way of like, Oh, push your trauma down and put it in the bar. It was more of like, I'm going to feel everything I'm feeling and trust and take the next step. And then I'm going to take the next step. And those, you know, led me through this this beautiful experience. Very, very Phoenix of you. Very Phoenix. Uh, Yes. I, I joke, I had a, a energy worker. She's like, well, you didn't name your company Phoenix. So good job on, on manifesting all that energy for you. Yeah, I love it. So now we're, we're coming close to the end here. Um, what is kind of the, the timeline and, and the next steps for the project? And you mentioned people can sign up for a newsletter and, you know, can you share Absolutely. where you're at there? I was like, you're such a product person. I love it. And you're like timeline. I'm like, yeah, I hear the product. Uh, so we are, you know, like I said, we're, we're closing down Phoenix One. So by um, early April, Phoenix One is actually going to be taken out of of, of rotation. Um, playing with the idea of having a free community of people still want to try to like come together and you know exploring that a little bit, but we're not going to be actively like building in Phoenix One. Um, but you know, offboarding everyone and saying, hey, we're we're stay in touch with our newsletter. We're going to be offering you know, still like some monthly content and themes. And I will be anytime I'm traveling, I'm going to intentionally, you know, at least hold one gathering. I think those will grow um, because I think the in-person stuff is super important. You know, this retreats, it's, we got to get back in the rooms. We got to get back in. We've got to remember like magic happens when we're yeah. together and we're going to just, I'm, I'm basically evangelizing Phoenix too. You know, it's that, it's that founder spot of like talking about it, getting all excited while we're building it. And it's going to hit the marketplace at some point this year. You know, the, the question is going to be, this is where fundraising obviously is going to shift things. Yeah. So like if we, if we raise the way that I intend, we could have it, you know, onto the public marketplace by fall. I would say if not, you know, we'll have to be a little more beta and, and, and quietly test while we learn. But, um, 
I'm really choosing to trust right now on that side because venture venture's got a whole lot going on at the moment. Um, but we're we're excited, you know, and I think the best way is like sign up for our newsletter, stay in contact. I recently came back to social media, which I am trying to like put my toes back in. So my Instagram is is open and I truly love meeting and talking to people and I'm happy to to be in conversation. And if you want to be an early tester for us, you know, just flag me and say, I want to test this thing that you're putting out there because we will forever be grateful for that feedback. And yeah, we're, we're excited. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm sure excited about it. Looking forward to it. I'll, I'll sign up to be a tester as Please. well. Oh yes. Um, With all your product knowledge. So, um, yeah. Looking forward to it. Was there anything else you wanted to to talk about today, or if you had a question for me, or you know, turning the tables around, or totally. Oh, that's fun, actually. So I just I love that you're doing this podcast, and I know it's such a labor of love. Which thank you, like truly thank you, because I think these are beautiful conversations that need to be had, and I think it's an it's an amazing medium to get knowledge and information and share stories. What was um what was your genesis moment for starting the podcast? Oh, you know, it's funny because I pushed back for a while on, on doing the podcast. I, I had a, a coach, a friend of mine, his name is Sean McCormick. And he was like, you got to do a podcast. You got to do a podcast. And I was like, no, not just another podcast. I mean, there was, there was an episode of Portlandia where everybody had turned DJ and there were like zombie <laughs> DJ every, around every corner. And I feel like it's like that sometimes with podcasts. Yeah. It's like everybody is a podcast host now. Uh, and so I was like, no, I don't want to do that until like, you know, I, I really have a vision for it. Like without a vision for, for like I'm a creator, creator. Yeah. If I don't have a vision, I'm not going to create. And so, and that vision needs to be like a transcending vision, like a very clear vision. And so for the podcast, one day after pushing back for like probably, you know, almost a year, I was like, you know, there's something about leadership. Like I've seen all those leaders through the years um, and some leaders I've really been impressed with and other leaders I was like, eh, what's wrong with that dude or that person, you know? And so, and then, you know, there's the quote from Steve Jobs that said, hey, if Bill Gates had taken more LSD or gone to an ashram, he would have been a very, would have been a very different guy. Yep. Um, and so I was kind of noodling on all this and, and I really wanted to bring that type of conversation, um, uh, you know, up because it's like, we talk about mental health a lot and psychedelics and, mm-hmm. I think that's great. That's important. There's huge potential there. But I wanted to talk about the other side of psychedelics, kind of going beyond mental health. And it's like, okay, like what are some of the insights people gained from psychedelics that they can share with other leaders or how that helped them in their leadership or how that helped them manifest better vision of the future? Yeah. And and so I wanted to shift the conversation. That's what, what was interesting is uh, – all the conversations still go back to mental health because it's the foundation uh, for everything that we do. It, you know, even though we try to not talk about it this way as a leader, uh, it, it is still that, that foundation. You need to have that strong foundation where you've sorted your shit out in order to, to lead people. So, uh, yeah, I mean, my aha moment just happened. I probably just woke up one morning and I was like, 
it needs to be about this and that. And usually it happens like that. My brain will work at night and I'll wake up in the morning and I'm like, oh, that's that's how, you know. <laughs> and I, it's like, and it's a win-win too. Like the other thing is I get to meet amazing people. We get to have great conversations together. I, I get like free lectures from them, learning from them. Um, and and our my audience like learns from from that as well. And for some <laughs> of the guests, it's like therapy. Uh, yeah. and, and so, you know, it's 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 great. And I learned so much, so much from doing the podcast um, about about myself, about the guest, about active listening, about um, everyone is different, about going with the flow. Yeah, like this, it's everybody should just try to do a podcast just to see how much they can learn. <laughs> um, they don't have to do it for too long. They'll learn very quickly. There are seven episodes. I think most podcasts only last seven episodes. Um, and uh, yeah, so. That's awesome. Okay. And my, I don't know why my voice is going out, but here we are. Um, <laughs> well, we're almost done. So that's... <laughs> I was like, why is my voice starting to go? I don't have hot water, but um... <laughs> it's a good story. It's a really good story. I was curious. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for your time. I'll put all your contact information in the show notes, in the description of the video. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts. Follow me on Instagram at leadershipadelics or stop by my website and say hi at fouyad.com. That's F-O-O-Y-A-D. There's a lot going on and I'd love to hear from you all, the listeners that tune in every week. And, and if you have suggestions for future guests, don't hesitate to reach out. I'm there and uh, I'd love to get more guests on the show. Thank you. Have a great day.